Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total photonic reversal. Photonic reversal. With your hosts, Conan Neutron and Brenna Betts. Coming to you from the heart of your historically hipster mission. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. I'm from the South. <laughs> I'm a Southern belle. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Christmas album. What what an excellent professional segue that was. Well, I'm very curious about Math Rock. No, I kind of know the town man for Rob Zombie. I'm presenting you the illusion of choice. We will impress you later. Yeah, it's a very good question. And I like that because that'll be getting a middle and an end. Could not be more professional. Get you pumped up. We have answers. I just want to bring something up that I noticed via postings on the internet. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed it is. Like a science thing, yet different at the same time. Welcome, welcome, one and all. I guess you would call the unofficial soft launch dev 3.0 for none other than Radio Nope. Say yes to Nope. Like to welcome you to the show. Uh, we're going to be talking to Mr. Rack, Rick. Let's try that again, Mr. Rick Valentine. I, am, of course, am your host, Kona Neutron, and uh, I'm pleased that you've uh, taken the time to hang out with us at this very uh, interesting time in history, where we're launching an incredible 24/7 radio station that uh, is, is quite frankly a little mind blowing, if I do say so myself. Ah, see, they say too. And back me up, people. Uh, normally, this show happens 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. every Thursday uh, Pacific time at Radio Valencia. 
Right now, it is happening at roughly 8.57 p.m. on a Wednesday on Radio Nope. Uh, I'm going to play a tune, and then uh, I think we might talk to uh, Mr. Rick Valentin from the Poster Children and Thoughts Detecting Machines. Let me tell you, people, I am really looking forward to this. Oh, I'm going to tell you, people, I'm really looking forward to this. I am actually really looking forward to this, though. <laughs> Uh, that's what's funny. It's funny because it's true. Uh, this is a song from the new Thoughtsy Techno Machines record. This is called In the Right. Goes with something like this. Don't get wrong. 
is, folks. That's Mr. Rick Valentin with uh, Thoughts Detecting Machines. And uh, right now, I would like to, well, hopefully, uh, welcome <laughs> to the show, uh, Mr. Rick Valentin. How you doing, sir? Hello. Hi. Welcome, welcome to the very first Protonic Reversal on Radio Nope. Yeah. This is, you're like a, a multi-platform, not multi-platform, multi-channel. I don't know what, I don't know what to call you. You're just multi-channel. Yeah. I'm, I'm very multi-channel. Yes. I, I, I get that often. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it, it's, I, and I think very much in the spirit of, of Thoughts Detecting Machines, Poster Children, and the many ground trailblazing, trailblazing ground things. Yes. Trailblazing ground things that you have done, uh, including Radio Zero, that you are the first on the, uh, the dev, the dev version, we'll call it. For, to be charitable uh, of Radio Nope, that will be simulcasted tomorrow on Radio Valencia, which which is more of a thing. So we thank you very much for that, Rick. The, oh yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. So uh, I was playing two songs there, which are two of my uh, favorite jams. Oh, uh, back announce again. See, I, I don't have my co-host in all my studio, and then suddenly everything just falls apart. That was White Lies, and before that we had In the Right. Those are uh, both songs by Thoughts Detecting Machines. That is off the new record, Work the Circuits. I think those are all true statements, right? Yeah, yes, yes, you are correct. We applaud, we, we applaud truth here, a protonic reversal. <laughs> you, you do fact, uh, instantaneous fact checking. I yeah, like that. It, it, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, someone needs to do it, right? They certainly aren't yeah. doing it on the news. You're not going to do like, a, like a, uh, an apology later. You want to make sure that everything is factual right when you say it. I try to. I, I, okay. Exactly. It, it, it's worth doing. It's anything okay. worth doing. That's unique in our current media environment. Well, that's nice. it, it's unique to care about that. I think <laughs> I think that's the unique thing. Yeah. Uh, but thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm very. I don't even know. Normally, uh, for the Proton Conversal, as de- devotees will know, things are uh, we will charitably say freewheeling. Uh, but uh-huh. I would say that they are flat out uh, wheeling free in uh, every possible direction without gravity at this point. So I'm just going to be a little all over the place with you because I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited Radio Zero is back. Can you uh, tell the listeners a little more about uh, what Radio Zero is? Well, it, I guess it's a podcast. Um, the thing is, is that we it's it's Rose and myself. So Rose, who is my wife, but also um bass player for the poster children bass player for poster children so it, man yeah and so the earliest origins of it were in i'd say 1997 when we were we had been on tour um but then we took some time off to make a record and rose had been doing tour diaries so she had you know she was already kind of blogging early on which were fantastic i was a i was a reader of those actually. yeah and, and so it was like there was a lot, you know, people really liked that. But then once we went off tour, you know, it was like, oh, she'd write a post that, oh, we went to the post office today. And it was it was not, you know, it, there was never really a great way to continue the tour reports. The dirt, uh, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, we did we did a little recording with I, everyone in the band at the time. Actually, we sat around the kitchen table. I remember and we said, you know what, let's just, let's just talk and put that up online, tell people about how we're working on a new record and everything like that. And so we did that. That was really cool. And then at the time Rose and I were, it was, you know, before, before podcasting. So we were listening to a lot of talk radio. We'd be working in our computer lab and we'd listen to like art bell. And, uh, um, at the time, uh, 
not Steve and Gary. That was in the eighties. These, these Chicago DJs, you know, that were on, you know, AM radio. So we could get them in downstate Illinois. And so, and we'd be up really late at night. So we'd be listening to a lot of talk radio and on tour, we listened to talk radio too. And it was just kind of like, you know what? Um, why can't we do this too, just on the internet, you know, for our, for our fans and everything like that. And so, um, Rose and I just started recording us kind of just talking. Right. Which which of course, as we all know, is, is the, the complete, the idea execution and final product of what a, a podcast is generally speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the thing is now podcasting is a much more kind of professional thing, but early on and what we, is it Rick? Is it? (laughs) <laughs> well it, it, have you it, heard it, the show <laughs> yes exactly so that's the thing is i i like i like kind of the the classic podcast i i like a lot of other like produce i mean so now there are radio people who are producing podcasts so it's they're basically radio shows you know everyone knows this that are available and it's just like listening to the rate you know like npr like for me i you know i listen at like most of the npr i listen to now is through podcasting but it's it's you know people in you know, the NPR studios, wherever there are at their, their radio station recording this, but then, you know, putting it up online. Whereas kind of the early days of podcasting, it was just people hanging out in their living room or their basement and, and recording stuff. And so that's, that's what we started doing. And, you know, and so we just go through phases. So I think the first one that was just Rose and myself that was called Radio Zero was in early 98. And that episode I listened to a while ago is really weird. Because we basically just explain the concept of podcasting before it you was called do. That. Oh. you kind of you kind of break it down, and it's interesting. This you know, some for for people that were, you know, and also I love that there was no real announcement. It just sort of like came alive, and then suddenly there was, hey, there's there's another new episode of this. When was the last one? Like seven years ago or something? <laughs> yeah, and so now, yeah, it, it, there there are lapses. I think it's only been. Like two years, like we just started doing it again. It was like a year or two since we had done the last chunk. But what happens is, is we get busy or life gets in the way. And so, yeah, we've been doing it on and off for 15 years, I guess. Is that right? Even more than that. But yeah, there'll be periods of time where it disappears for a year or two or three. And then then we're like, oh, you know what? We've got Friday off or we've got some time. Let's talk about this. I'm tired of talking and complaining. Rose will say, I'm tired of just complaining to you. Let's complain to other people too. And we'll do a new, new, uh, <laughs> set of podcasts. And so that's what happened again. It was just like, we had had so many things had been going on and we, it just, it just happened. And so we just started working on it again. You know, Rick, you're really good at complaining. Can you complain <laughs> at other people for a while, please? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It's, you know, I, 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 I sometimes worry though, that it's a little, little self-indulgent, you know, I mean, everybody's, everybody complains, you know, absolutely. Not everybody, everybody, not everybody decides other people want to hear them complain. Well, but the thing is, I think what you call complaining, I would say is actually, you know, relatively interesting discourse that just comes from people that are very intelligent and, you know, want a little more out of life than the sort of uh, diminished expectations and the mediocre miseries that are presented to you. And uh, I I think (laughs) that's that's an okay thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Speaking of speaking (laughs) as someone that I guess works in a, in a similar milieu, if you will, uh, I think that's an okay Uh thing. Yeah. (laughs) Although you are much more skillful and erudite at it than I, uh, and I am much better at dick jokes. So there you go. 
<laughs> That's right. Everybody's got their talents. Exactly. You know, yeah. Play to your strengths, right? <laughs> Everyone has their strengths. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, and uh, if people are looking for Radio Zero stuff, uh, there is, I mean, I'm subscribed to it somehow. I must have done, the, I think a long time ago I went through and just kind of were, I, I was going through and just, just listening to a couple old episodes and just being like, oh, you know, this show was good. Like, I wish, I wish that they were still doing it. And, uh, but there is still a RadioZero.us that you can uh, find Radio Zero information at, right? That's right. And it's up on iTunes and other podcast aggregators. You know, um, you know where it could be is Radio Nope. <laughs> That's true. Could be. Which which would qualify as maybe the most passive asks of my entire life if if we count <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely send me an email about that though cuz I'll forget. I, I will and I won't forget. Although you do have a record called Forget that Thoughts Detection Machines put out which was a uh, is your band with uh, you yourself and you. Uh, and that is um, just put out the that most recent record work, the circuits. The forget was it came on the vi- the vinyl is amazing because it's got you got the, the post it notes on the outside, so you won't mm-hmm. you won't actually forget. And then the whole dry erase thing, like what what is this packaging is insane, sir? How do you do this? Like, <laughs> are you trying to make us look like idiots? Is that what you're like? Oh, these guys are barely trying over here. <laughs> I you know the thing is is that for so long I. Th- you know, I, I love and, you know, making packaging for poster children and everything like that. But we were also kind of working on labels and there were certain restrictions and just financial stuff. And just, you know, we always tried to do neat things with our packaging, but it was kind of like once. And I, I think the difference is, is I, I, you know, I went to art school, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd always right. had a creative background and everything like that. But I went to art school. So from the damage, art school damage. It was kind of like, if I'm going to make records, if I'm going to make physical objects, they've got to have something more to them than just be simply printed. But that said, I mean, this is the thing. And I I used to be like kind of really militant when I was younger. It was like, why, you know, don't just make music. You know, you should be making your videos. You should be working on your cover art. You should be controlling every aspect of your creative output. And I realized very early on that 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 was not a true, that was not a great position to sort of speak from because everybody's got different things they're interested in. And there are a lot of musicians who just, you know, to them, it's all about the music and all this extra stuff, you know, a website, uh, the packaging and everything like that. They're, they really are not interested in that. They they are interested in the music and, and to them, everything is secondary and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, from almost day one, my musical obsession has been linked directly with the the design, the packaging and everything like that. And so that was the thing is I loved, you know, 80s indie rock, American indie rock, you know, SST and Homestead Records and and all that kind of stuff. Right. But those those packages, they, they were a little too punk rock. It was like, oh, they're cool. You know, this photo is kind of cool, but it's like the music is so amazing, but the package doesn't, you know, quite match that you look at stuff that was on you know like for ad or on uh, on factory records and it was like wow the music is really cool but they're also doing really cool stuff with the packaging and so that to me is where it was really like you can have the best of both worlds you don't you don't have to just be a musician you, you can be a a video person and you can be a graphic design person however you want to call it or even you know and and so that's where it all came from. I think that's it's kind of just come to a head where it's like if I'm going to make packaging, I want it to be 
you know, a, an art project in and of itself. I would be, I would love it if someone bought a thoughts detecting machine record without caring about the music and they just want to buy the packaging too. I would, I would not be offended by that. It would be like, Oh, great. You know, it's like, Oh, there's some people who like the music and would hate the packaging. But then if there's some people who like the packaging and hate the music, I'd still be like, you know what? At least they like something part of it. Yeah. <laughs> At least they like something. And I'm, I'm doing something that's connecting. Right. 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 No. And that's, you know, it's that, that's a very adult way of looking at it, I suppose, uh, because <laughs> So, certainly, I mean, to, to me, it, it seems almost inexorably linked with the. Uh, you, you have this this every EP and record kind of has has like a concept and sort of like you know the the songs mean something to it and sort of seems like the packaging kind of ties with it. But I guess it's sort of like yeah, you can you can dig the architecture of the Guggenheim without liking any of the art within it. I suppose. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. And that's the thing is like there's there's the white box, you know, kind of. Uh, gallery you know sort of design right but then there's there are also yeah like the guggenheim's a great example where it's like it it does a, a great thing where it's the 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 building itself is a work of art too and, and an experience it's not just the the work you know it's not just simply something that's supposed to disappear it's supposed it's supposed to be part of it and enhance it and so yeah i mean i and 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 the other thing is, is, you know, Thoughts Detecting Machine is, you know, just me and I can kind of just decide all that stuff, <laughs> you know, and say, right, this is the concept and this is how it all leaks together. It's just kind of like a control freak thing. Whereas to me, the, the advantage and the positives of Poster Children is that it's, oh, it's a it's a bunch of people working together and it's collaborative and um, the energy comes from the music itself and the live performance and the packaging is is a great part of it. But you know, I, I thought about this before is a lot of my, my packaging kind of design aesthetic doesn't, re I, if, if we do another poster children record, Rose and I at least are going to have to sit down and have a really serious talk about what, 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 you know, poster children looks like, because I think sometimes, you know, so for like, you know, you think about like a joy division record or a new order record, and it's like those very kind of minimalist, you know, austere designs, they right. fit with the music, but then it's like, I like that design, but then you put that on like a punk rock record. It doesn't always make work. sense. Right, yeah. Right, it doesn't right. make sense. And so I think part of what's going on with thoughts detecting machine is, is, is that the music fits a little more with my design aesthetic. And I, I can do that because it's, it's me working on music with a computer and technology and everything. So it, it, they, they work together a little better. So I, but I'll, I'll be interesting to see what happens with future poster children stuff. Right. It's sort of like with, with the thought detecting machine stuff, you don't have to, you know, run it past the committee or anything. So it's like kind of like a different, right. <laughs> different scene. Yeah. And that's not to say, and I don't mind that. I mean, that's, that's what I liked about poster children is it, that's the one thing that thoughts detecting machine kind of drives me crazy is that there, there are really no excuses and no, you know, kind of it all becomes my responsibility. And so I think outside of if you look at poster children from the outside, it's like, oh, it's, you know, I'm I'm singing and I'm playing guitar and people might perceive that as me. I mean, there are a lot of bands that are like that, where there's the person who's singing and playing guitar is is the person doing everything in the creative process. But poster children was definitely never like that. I, and that was the thing when I started doing thoughts detecting machine. It was it was strange because I realized it had been 20 or 25 years since I had actually written a song by myself. Because I didn't have to. I had people who really, talented folks that you're working with. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
would help me. I was like, I don't need to figure out a drum part. I got somebody, I, you know, had, had a wonderful opportunity to work with a bunch of great drummers. I've got a, a bass player who has perfect pitch and, you know, can, can figure out arrangements and, and can do all of this amazing, you know, stuff from the musical side that I can't do. And then, uh, my brother, uh, you know, playing guitar and, and the previous guitarist we had, Jeff, they were both really just great at, we, we were able to weave together our, our parts really well. It was just kind of like, we just start playing and we would instinctively find our places with each other. So, um, that's, those, those are the things that, uh, are different when I do something with thoughts detecting machine. It's like, oh, wow, I can't just, you know, let the songs kind of form themselves and then just write some words. I'm, I'm going to be have, have to be the one who, who does all that extra stuff. So the committee for me was never really a problem, you know? Right. It wasn't like, Oh, these people are sabotaging my dream. I can't wait to ditch them <laughs> and hit the big time with this, uh, with this music I got in me. Yeah. And so, yeah. And that's, I think that's why the band poster children has, you know, lasted. So, I mean, the reason why we're not doing stuff now is more just because we're just too busy and it's really hard to get four busy grown up people in a room together and work, work on music. We used to be able to sit, you know, it would be like we could spend 12 hours, you know, just playing and figuring out a song. And we could do that sometimes when we were touring all the time and then we'd have time off, we could do that for a week or two weeks and just rehearse and write songs. Right. And that kind as of part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of thing you can't do as, like you said, like adult or as a grown up. like once you have kids, once you have a, you know, a job, you need to pay for stuff. It's like, all of a sudden it's like that, that kind of thing. So, um, unlike other bands where it was like, yeah, you like some bands, I think slow down or break up because they, they can't get along. It's like somebody wants to be in control mm-hmm. and right. I'll, that we we had we had we had a great you know kind of setup where everybody worked really well together and we were able to create stuff together and um but what threw us off was like oh wait a minute we can't spend a week in a rehearsal space just working on the same song over and over again anymore we there's that's that was a luxury we didn't realize at the time we were broke and living in a loft and right yeah yeah you you don't you don't have that uh, that this sort of like endless time to just sort of throw things against the wall. Like, Oh, let's try this. How about that? It was great while it was happening, but it's not sustainable. (laughs) You know, it's kind of sustainable in a way. If, if you're, you know, well, that's the thing though, is bands that are wildly successful and, you know, can, can, you know, make money hand over fist, I guess the few ones that do that, they don't do that either though. They, it's something that happens, you know, in the youth of a band cycle where you're, you're all just kind of, you're in your gang and, and you're, you're spending all your time with those people, but then, you know, you grow up. And then at a certain point, it doesn't define your entire identity as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really hard to get back that, that kind of luxury of time, even if you are, even if you have the luxury of money or, you know, it's there, there are other things that compete with that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. So that, that was the downside with poster children now is that we, we built up this, way of making music, but it's, 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 it's pretty time consuming. It's kind of like, Oh, we're just going to keep playing this until something happens. And that's, that's not, not necessarily the most efficient way of doing things. Right. And that's, I mean, well, and that's sort of, it's interesting that like, cause to me, I think of, uh, 
I mean, and we, we talked earlier on about this, the commitment to DIY and that being something where, you know, that was as important as the records, right? And that mm-hmm. was like something that was important to the presentation. For me, I found that very inspiring uh, as, as a younger man to uh, be like, oh, it doesn't have to just be, it's not just grueling work. It's actually, you know, you can have fun with, you know, do something really interesting and, uh, you know, something kind of cool that like is, is a piece of art in its own vein, um, yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing too, is, you know, when I think back and so when I was young and just starting out playing music, the bands I was looking at, you know, you know, the, again, that SST scene and, and the, and the twin tone scene and, and those bands that were coming through when I was in Champagne in college, you know, in my early college days, it wasn't like these bands, you know, like the replacements, you know, just played you know, to a huge, to huge crowds, right, but right, right, right. You know, they, they were playing to much smaller things than like seeing Husker do in Champaign, Illinois, you were seeing them with maybe, you know, once, once things were really moving, yeah, there'd be a, a, a couple hundred people, but early on it would be 50 or 60 people. And that's the thing I, I think, and the Minutemen, you know, seeing the Minutemen, I was lucky enough to see them and there, <sighs> were, there were not a lot of people there. Right? right. And it was like, they were just people living on, on the edge you know, getting into a van, touring, playing shows, and and there was no kind of expectation of this huge payout. And so you it, it was very inspiring for me to see that too. It was like, oh, these people are doing what they want rather than trying, you know, trying to be successful. And I'm using the finger quotes within the parameters of, you know, classic rock or whatever. Sure. <laughs> totally. It's a different metrics of success. Like the, su- the success you're speaking of is when you are kind of, you get to do what you love and you get to do it, hopefully the way that you want to do it. And you get to kind of connect with people in this unique way that, uh, you know, you wouldn't necessarily get from like a kid rock record or maybe some people do mm-hmm. with a kid rock record. Is that even, a, is that a dated <laughs> reference? That's probably a dated reference at this point. <laughs> Is, yeah, but it, it works for me. Right. But yeah, <laughs> but you, just, mean. yeah nobody be yeah. a dick here. You know what I'm talking about. All right. <laughs> and that's the thing is I, I remember thinking from the point, even when I was, you know, just, just playing, you know, local shows and everything like that. But it was like, once, once we made records, it was kind of like, I just want to make sure that when I'm looking back, you know, as an old man, you know, that I don't, I don't look at something and say, wow. I really wish I hadn't have done that and think I shouldn't have let that other person convince me what to do. I wanted to be able to look back at my mistakes and have them be my mistakes rather than them being regrets. It's like, why did this happen? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Let these people do this photo shoot or why did I make th- let this person do this cover art for us instead of us? You know, it's like maybe, I'll, I, you know, everybody does this. They look back at their high school photo and they go, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Right. Per- perfect and, example. Although dated Billy Squire. Uh, if you, <laughs> you right. we all remember that video, right? I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah, I'm, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, you can, you can get into a, you can take a path where it's like a lot of people are telling you what to do. And, and, and the thing is, is like, I, I look at back at a plenty of stuff and I go, oh, I wish I did that. I wish I did that. But most of those, those, you know, things that I, you know, think about and say, oh, wow, that was a mistake. They were things that I chose to do. (laughs) You know, it was like very early on, I think we just made a commitment to saying, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to do it the way we want. You know, 
that that's that's a form of compromise in a way like but the reality was is we want we 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 very early on had seen some patterns that had happened with other bands where it was like they 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 lost the thread and it ruined it. it not only ruined the band but it ruined music for some people you know it's like right. you always see this and to me that's the most tragic thing it's like somebody who I, I, I'm sure you've had this conversation with someone who just says, I'm done. I don't want to make music anymore. It's, it's, it's no longer does for me what it used to do. It's been ruined for me or something like that. And that to me out of everything, it was never like, Oh, my records didn't sell or, or this, you know, somebody complaining about that, that never really made me feel bad. I was like, you know, that's, it's a tough thing. But if somebody says, I, you know, somebody, you know, who loved music and loved playing music, all of a sudden just, has such a bad experience where they say, I'm just selling, selling my guitars. I'm giving up. I'm not even, I'm selling my record collection. I never want to, you know, think about music again. That to me was the tragedy. It was like, that was the one thing I wanted to avoid. I wanted to make sure that at the end of the day, I might've had, you know, things that I'm unhappy about, everything like that. But music was all, I knew that music was important to me and I wanted to make sure that I didn't let it get ruined for me and right. that helped us make decisions. It was just kind of like, does this feel bad? You know? Oh, this feels kind of bad. I think this might ruin, you know, everything. I, you know, it's like somebody might say something to you like, Oh, here's, here's, here's a million, you know, this didn't happen, but you know, somebody, you know, could, could wave a million dollars in front of you and you could say, Oh, I can do that. But you got to wear this, you know, you got to wear this clown makeup. And it's like, eh, you know what? <laughs> I would love to have a million dollars. It would make my life easier, but I really don't want to be the guy who wears clown makeup. And that is the story of insane clown posse. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure they're very happy. But that's the thing too, though. I really believe that a lot of people who are wildly successful, they're not like the insane clown posse guys. I don't think they're calculating Machiavellian, uh, you know, marketing geniuses. I think they're doing what, what they want to do. That's their creative work. It may be something that doesn't communicate with me, but it communicates with other people. And there's some kind of core honesty there. It's not my core honesty, but I, I have a hard time believing that they're a group of calculating, you know, professionals that said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to do this Fago thing and we're going to look like clowns and it's going to make us a million dollars. I think it was, I, <laughs> they, were, they were following their muse and it, that muse just happened to have this appeal that lightning struck, right? I don't think it was, they didn't make the lightning. They were just standing in the place where the lightning hit, you know, right. Where they built their house was where the lightning was going to strike. Well, and so and it's interesting that you bring that up because it kind of, it kind of seems like culturally and uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong in the subtext I'm getting off of uh, the, the record, uh, forget the circuits, but there, there is a certain sort of observant quality to it that is kind of almost paired with, you know, taking that mindset and, and that world that you the, you kind of came up in and grew up in and applying that to, well, it didn't really work out exactly like that the way we wanted to have it. And maybe like, you know, we these ideas we have of like these sort of fully realized, actualized things that maybe like promote critical thinking and things like that, uh, that they don't, you know, we've, it's not, hasn't gone away at all. It's just certainly kind of maybe been, it's, it's, we didn't quite hit the, you know, Fugazi didn't exactly become ACDC big despite them being as great as they are, you know? And I, I found that really interesting because I don't think I've heard that so much from someone that's done it as much as you have. Uh, hmm. Meaning, 
like I've heard it, of course, but usually from other jaded nobodies such as myself. And <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to hear it, uh, you know, hear from, you know, a genuine also ran, if I may. Uh, <laughs> that would I would I, I would cue some laughter there if if, if I had the thing. Yeah, no, I no, no. I it's interesting. I I'm I'm interested in in um I guess like specifics how you get that. I I I I kind of agree. I mean, I'm I too am frustrated that Fugazi is not considered you know the Led Zeppelin of our generation or right. whatever exactly. the Beatles of our generation. It's just, but to me, that's just an example of. And and I thought about this. I, I was just thinking about this the other day when I started thinking about like, you know, uh, even just the the advent of punk rock, you know, in in the mid seventies, you know, the Ramones and the New York scene and everything like that. And and I'm not, you know, you know, I'm a I'm a fan of my Midwest scene, and I I I'm I was always a little frustrated that New York got all the attention. But the reality was is that I think I'm I'm really realizing how how hard you know the California scene. And by California scene, I mean, I don't mean California punk rock. I mean, you know, the album oriented, you know, the Eagles basically, right? That scene um, really dominated to the point where when we had the new thing happening and it was kind of the precursor to our generation of stuff. But, you know, when things started happening in, in New York and everything like that, it was not allowed to become the new thing a little bit, there were little bits and pieces, you know, you had your Patty Smith and your Blondie were allowed to squeak through a little bit, but right. it really got locked down. And so to me, it, before it, they kind of figured it out that, Oh, there's a pattern to this and we can make money. Cool. Yeah. And, and it was like, and, and so by the time you, you have somebody like Fugazi showing up, it's like, there was already a sidelining of what should have been you know, the, the Beatles of our generation, right? Sure. They were sidelined. There was already a system set up to prevent, to kind of keep the old order in place. This is my generational baby boomer thing. It's basically baby boomers were allowed to kind of dominate for a few more years instead of allowing my generation's music to, to take the forefront and become, you know, the mainstream and, and mix things up. Right. And so it all kind of continues from that. And that's that's my frustration, too, is that it's just like we should have had there should have been more should have happened. And, you know, everybody, you know, everybody talks about, you know, the year punk broke and, you know, grunge and Nirvana and all that kind of stuff. But that was that was so late. You know, it was like that should not that should have. And it it didn't it didn't stick, you know, in a way it should have stuck more. I feel like, too. I don't know. I'm sounding like a, an old man who's complaining. No, I well, and I guess so. I guess my point of it is that, like, I, I feel like when you address that material, you don't sound like an old man that's complaining. Like, you actually sound like someone that has a very, uh, you know, interesting viewpoint that you know has has lived it, has has, has walked that walk, and you know, had, but has come out being like, maybe we did not exactly win that war, <laughs> and it would be disingenuous <laughs> of us to say that we did, and start saying, you know, put the mission accomplished banner up. You know, George W. Bush style, <laughs> and I think that's cool because I I don't think that uh, I've I've really heard that so much again from you know someone that is that that has done it on on that level, and I love that uh, for instance Rose, your poster children compatriot, wife and the mother of your children, has got the teaching the, the music class that they you know the uh, I don't I don't know what the I'm sure it's not 101, which is non collegiate <laughs> people always say oh it's something or other 101. It's like they're not music. all 101. Yeah, yeah, but music business. Yeah, she teach music. She teaches music business classes. Yeah, 
And I think that's fascinating because you guys did it. You know, you, you had you were on the major label and, and you know, using those resources to make the bigger and better. Like if, if I remember correctly, and I might be wrong about this, but didn't you guys make the first enhanced CD or one of the first ones? Was it you were the residents? Well, the residents, yeah. The residents, I think, had already made one. Um, so what had been going on, and there were a few others. And for younger listeners, uh, CDs were things that people listened to music on back when. And then, <laughs> and then people started adding, like once computers started coming in, then they started adding stuff to the CDs where you could put the CD into the computer. And, you know, there'd be interactive stuff and videos and things like that before right. before the internet caught on, before that internet fad hit. But um we, I would say we were the first band that did it ourselves. <laughs> so well, this was the thing. Yeah, that's it's, the thing is you guys programmed, like you made everything, right? I yeah. Mean, and, and so there were other people, there were, and so we actually had a conversation, I remember, with the record label where it was like, oh, yeah, I think the residents had done something, but they had been working with a company, you know, a startup that was doing this kind of stuff. And then I can't remember who else. I, I think there was a day I've got one of them. Actually, there was a David Bowie kind of enhanced CD, but it was they hired a company, you know, just in the same way you'd hire right. a graphic designer. Sure. Because they, they don't know what's going to stick at this point. I mean, it's, yeah. music videos themselves became such a huge part of uh, of the music world that who knows? Maybe these enhanced CDs are going to be the new way that people find out about stuff. Mm hmm. And we were at a meeting with the record label and it was like, yeah, I really want to do one of these enhanced CDs. And they were like, great. I think that's a great idea. And it was like, well, you know, can we, do we hire a company and everything? And they were like, well, no, you guys know how to do that stuff. Why don't you do it? <laughs> it was like, oh yeah. All right. And, and so it, it was a strange thing, but it was, it was because the reality was, it wasn't just, it was a money thing, but it was, it was true. It was like, it really made, because even with the label, I mean, a lot of times we were working with the people we were, I think, I, I think this is true. I remember talking to the people in the, the design department, we were the first band to upload artwork to their servers, right? So typically with a major label, you would have, you know, somebody on the design team, design your record art cover art for you and everything like that. But we already had a computer and we were had already had for, for our record with twin tone, actually somebody else designed the cover. We, we had kind of said, this is all we want on the cover, but then somebody else took that, those ideas and did something with them that we weren't right. It was interpreted happy with it, yeah. it kind of, it doesn't quite look like it didn't quite look like what we wanted. Right. And so after that, it was like, once we were on, a major label. It was just kind of like, we're going to do the cover art. We got, you know, we had our computer, we had Photoshop, whatever it was, 2.0 or 3.0. We were doing the design and then it was like, <laughs> Oh Lord. <laughs> I this to you, and it was like, Oh, you, you cannot, Oh, we've been, you know, I don't, I can't even remember what they were uploading before to their servers, but it wasn't artwork or it was like design companies. Like, so a design firm, an external design firm, you know, like, in Chicago or something like some kind of big design company might upload stuff to the server, but it was like, Oh, Oh yeah, we could do that. We know how to FTP stuff. Give us the FTP information. So it was that kind of thing where, and, and then they were asking us questions about web stuff, early, early, early stuff, you know, asking Rose questions, HTML questions, you know? So we had, we were already in a weird relationship with a label where it was like to them, we knew, as much as they knew, everybody was kind of clueless at the time. Everybody was learning it as they were going on. And that was where it really started sinking in with us. I mean, it's obvious now how equalizing the web was, sure. but at the time it was like, oh yeah, I, 
I know much as much as Warner Brothers. I, I know as much as Sony knows about website design. I can make a website. I could make a website that probably looks better than Sony's website right now. And that realization, oh, I can make an enhanced CD as good as somebody, you know, you spend $50,000 to hire someone to do it and then they do stuff with it that you don't like. It was just kind of like, we, we should do it. And even if it doesn't look like some kind of shiny, you know, super pro thing, the fact that we made it and it has our personal touch, you know, that's going to be an added thing that you won't get from just hiring some, you know, generic, you know, creative professional who doesn't necessarily care about your music at all to, to build some generic thing. Right. And so that was where it really started to come in with the enhanced CDs is like, Oh yeah, we should be doing not only driving our own van, but we should be making our own videos and making our own enhanced CDs and, recording our own records too. At some point it was just like, Oh yeah, we got to do that too. Right. And I mean, the whole thing is like, you know, why, yeah. Why wouldn't it be you? I mean, you've already you know, wrote the songs, you've already you know, arranged them. You've, mm-hmm. you've toured on them. Like you've, it's your record. Like why not just have that all be a, be a thing? This I mean, I, it's like you're talking about before the whole thing about being this, like the complete actualized concept of, of, you know, that being part of the presentation really, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And none of this now is unusual. This is this is what most musicians, most creative people do now anyways. It was just that we were we just happened by kind of a fluke of timing and because both Rose and I had, had ex, were computer scientists, had degrees in computer science, we we were just more familiar with this stuff earlier, but it was it was just kind of like it it, it became obvious very quickly, oh, I don't need to mail out a, a little fanzine to all our fans through the mail anymore. They're, everybody's on email now. We can just email that to them. We can make a website. We don't have to do. And right, it, yeah. it was it, these. These are all obvious things that became that were obvious. It was just that we we happened to be uh, just aware of it earlier, just because of our technical backgrounds. Sure, and that's you know that's not something that everybody necessarily would have too. So it's it's sort of like a thing mm-hmm. that's u- unique to you guys, but I think was very much a. You know, a, a character trait of the band, really, and uh, along with just sort of like the relentless, geeky, sort of critical thinking, and I mean that as a compliment, to be clear. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, well, I'm glad. Uh, yeah. And... Speaking of someone that provisioned a chat box for the website while we were speaking, I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, and it's you know, and just things like you know, you had a you had a record called RTFM, which cracked me up. I was like, wow, these guys, that's awesome. <laughs> which, uh, you know, as people, as people, if you know, people don't know that of course means read the freaking manual and, yeah. uh, not necessarily freaking though. Right. And, uh, that's, I mean, that delighted me as, as someone else. I was like, wow, who the, who are these people? <laughs> there's like a million <laughs> records and they're, and they're and this one. There's like a game and like cartoons and things. And it's a whole scene happening. It's crazy. It's crazy, I tell you. Well, yeah, and 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 that to me, it, I mean, it became. I, I don't know. I don't know if it was. You know, sometimes they talk about how like people grow into their names. It's like you become your name, and it's in a weird way. It was like Poster Children. It was just you know like a a a good punk rock name when we first started, but it became like it kind of in a weird way. So much of the band became sort of fighting this idea of of we're special and you're not, which started coming back. That was, that was what inspired me in the first place. Because, you know, when I was in high school, the early part of high school, it was still, I was in an environment where it was all classic rock and it was all 
you know, prog rock. I, I mean, I love prog rock now, but it, it was just kind of like you could you could be in a band if you were Eddie Van Halen, but if you were not Eddie Van Halen, you couldn't be in a band, right? That those were the rules. And right. then, then the discovery of, you know, <laughs> this is, you know, a like, silly, Oh, you I, can actually do this without, yeah. you know, having a, three buses that take you to the thing and you have people set up your amps and yeah. And it, it was like, Oh wow. Okay. The, you know, seeing this, totally different world where it was like, these are people they're playing in smaller places, but they're writing songs themselves. They don't, they don't have to be, you know, they don't have to be necessarily like uh, technically proficient, but they are in a way, you know, you, you think about those, sure. those bands and they're technically proficient, but they're doing it in a way that's very specialized and, and that, that is different as opposed to being technically proficient in the kind of classic guitar way or the classic, you know, classic drummer or bass player or whatever keyboard player even, you know? And, and so, uh, I think as things moved on as in, in the band world, when it moved from the kind of indie rock thing, and then all of a sudden it was like, Oh, you know, anybody who's in a, you know, a bunch of scrappy college students in a band, all of a sudden that's something cool and important. And, and that weird thing started seeping back into it where it was like us and them, you know, we're special, you're not, we really started pushing hard against that. You know, it was kind of like, well, no, make your own website, do make your own music, right, right. do your own thing. Don't, don't let it turn into this, this, this other thing that we spent so many years fighting against, which was like, oh, boring, you know, kind of corporate rock. And then that whole idea of your, you know, the only way to succeed is to be this kind of special golden person on the mountain. Yeah, you don't you don't need the permission slip to, uh, to 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 do the thing. You don't need to, you know, be born to a, a family of privilege necessarily. You know, it's it's like one of those things where it's like you can. It's just DIY, right? It's, it's <laughs> yeah. do it yourself. It's, it's emblematic of. Uh, to, I don't know. For me, culturally, it's it's a defining moment of, of my life. Like learning that myself. So it's yeah. Oh, me too. So that's why you know bands, you know, like you guys, uh, Poster Children. And Fugazi, Minutemen, things along those lines. It's sort of like I, I almost looked as a template for how to conduct my life, really, more than, any, than any, as much as anything else, as, as well as with music. Exactly. And I think that's invaluable, and it's it's got me thinking that you know, it's like I, I gosh, I hope that with all the entertainment options that are out there, that you know, the kids, uh, air quotation marks. Now I, I'm borrowing from you to use the kids yeah, there. Yeah. I hope that the kids can can find something on their own that kind of teaches them that because now you have the tools to do, do it all. Of course, the downside is that everybody is doing it. Right. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's more noise, right? So there, 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 there's, it's a double-edged sword. It's like the, the, in, in the early days, <laughs> in the early days, you know, so, so the kind of what the filter was is like, Oh, if, if you could make a record and press a record or get someone to press a record for you, all of a sudden you jumped to this different, level where it was like, Oh, okay. There was a filter because not everybody could do that. Right. Or had right, either exactly. resources or they were just somewhere where no one who wanted to run a record label, you know, uh, was around to see them. Right. And, and now who approved this? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so there was an advantage where there was, there was a filter, but because of that filter also that you, you, we hear about this now because there is no filter. You all of a sudden discover, a musician or a band that recorded the most amazing record in 1975, but because they didn't sound, you know, like uh, the Bee Gees or Grand Funk Railroad, no right. one listened to it. And then all of a sudden it comes out of the woodwork. Someone finds it in a record store in 
Peoria, you know, the one copy that's left and they put it online and then you go, oh, wow, this is amazing. So the, the, there's, there's the one aspect where it's like, there's not, not as much, there wasn't as much stuff and as much competition, but then the, the weird stuff was more likely to get pushed underground. Whereas now it's kind of the opposite problem is you gotta, it, it's really hard to find, you know, there's, there, it's hard to find the tree, the one tree you like in the forest. You know, right. And that's the thing is you have to put more effort into sifting through everything, sifting through the good and the bad. I mean, I think it's interesting that I'll talk to, you know, know, I'll talk to younger kids in this scene and and they talk about this heat as if it's a thing that's just always been around and everyone's known about. It's like, no, like those those records flat out were not available. Like I didn't hear about them until like, you know, whatever, like like late 20s. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's actually the specific band where I knew everything changed because I had gone back to college um, after a long time. And um, I had that same thing where it's like I didn't know about this heat until, you know, and then somebody started bootlegging the CDs and they were they were really expensive, you know, and it's like you could get a tape off of someone and, you know, somebody did a short run of CDs, I remember, and then the vinyl, obviously, and you could get that. And so I'd hear about stuff and and it was but it was, yeah, not a lot of people. I, I remember saying something, oh, have you heard of this heat? And they're like, oh, no. And I was or, oh, yeah, someone else told me about that. And it was yeah, definitely like an underground thing. And then I was sitting, you know, in in this class, college class when I went back and I'm I'm the old guy and some you know young kid is like, oh, have you know. Uh, is there any music that I should listen to, you know, asking for advice? And I said, Oh yeah, there's this band, this heat. And, oh yeah. I've heard of this heat. And it was like, <laughs> like a year or two. Oh yeah. That's old school. Gone from being, <laughs> yeah. Complete obscurity that you would only, if you knew someone who had a copy of it, that was the way you would find out about it to where it just flipped completely where it was like everything, everybody knew about everything. And the only way to find something obscure was with, but if it was somebody who hadn't done anything yet, really. You know, there, there, there was nothing. The, the idea of obscurity came from just not looking for it. Right. right. And, right. and then that be, that's that. So that's now the challenge that, you know, you have like there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so many podcasts. There's only so many records. There's only so many, you know, anything you're you're ever going to be able to take in. And the the sort of the entertainment and, and, and there, there's that many more diamonds, but there are that many more rocks as well. Yeah. And so what's amazing to me is the guy who ran was like kind of ran and was the buyer for the record store when I went to school in the eighties, when I was in college in the eighties, that really changed my life. Like he, you know, he would put stickers and reviews on all the records. It's how I found out about Sonic Youth. It's how I found out about, you know, uh, Mission of Burma, everything like that was just going to his record store. And every week he would have a new, you know, he would listen to all this stuff and find all this stuff. He, that was his job, you know, it was to work at the record store and find all this music. He's, in a weird, well, it's not that weird, but you know, he went off, you know, to Chicago, ran a record store, but then he came back to this town I live in now, normal Illinois works here and he's on the radio. And so I can listen to his radio show now and he's doing the same thing that he was doing <laughs> 30 years ago, listening to all the new music for right, me. Right. I don't have to listen to everything. <laughs> this is everything. And his taste is so good. And it's so parallel to with what mine is. And well, he just has really good taste. It's not even that it's parallel with me. It's that his taste is better and more refined and he spends his life, you know, his free time listening to new music. So it's not that he, he got stuck in one point in time. It's that he's the rare person that, that just constantly is looking for something new or something interesting and does that and loves doing that. And uh, it's, it's just so great that I can listen to his radio show and, 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 and it helps me 
you know, find new stuff because it's, I don't have the time for that. And that's absolutely something that, you know, I shoot for, for myself. And I, I personally, considering that some people that I know of dig so deep and so often, like, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm definitely only scratching the surface compared to some of them, but I, I try to rep what I love on this show. And, you know, people do tell me that, that you know, they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm glad that you do this show. So I don't have to listen to every record that comes out. It's like, Oh, right. Yeah. Glad so to provide that and, service, I guess. Yeah. And so, but you're doing more than, you know, 99% of what people do. So you're saying, you're talking about that person that's at the 99.9%. Yeah. Right? Just so like that Asperger's kind of, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you're saying, Oh, they're, they do so much more than I do. And it's like, yeah, they do, but you're doing more than most people do. So yeah, it's easy to, but that's, that's what drives you too. I'm sure is that you're, you're like thinking, Oh, I could, you know, I should be spending even more time, you know, finding new music and everything like that. But there's, you know, you're doing other things too. You know, you're not, you're not just the new music guy. You're the, the, you know, you're connecting socially, you know, connecting uh, to me, you're, you're more, you're, it's not just simply about the music. You're like what you were saying about, you know, you're, you, you've taken to heart that idea of community and connection and, and you're one of those connectors. So that's, that's what you do. You know, you do that much better than for instance, I would do, right. It's like, I love all these people in the scene and the community and everything like that. But I, I just am not necessarily as good as connecting them all. Whereas you're much better at that. So I mean, do. yeah, don't, don't short sell yourself. You're also like a, a full-time professor. And, uh, you know, like, as I mentioned earlier, yeah. you, uh, you outdo everybody on the packaging, uh, game <laughs> like That's that I know of right now. And there's some, there's some good, uh, there's some good representatives of the packaging game. Uh, no, man, just take the compliment. Okay. 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 <laughs> Sorry. You don't have to, to compliment. You don't have to do a, uh, a compliment it back to, to diminish your own compliments. <laughs> you take, take, take the love. All Just right. accept it. Called out by the professor. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Thank you. Uh, I will, I will take that. I will take that and I will deposit into the bank and they, they right, will tell right, me, exactly. sir, this is not legal tender. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's social capital. It's, 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 capital. It's, 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 capital. it's, it's a different type of capital. They're all different types of capital. Speaking of capital and maybe it failing us now, I noticed that you were cited in a, an article in the Sun Times about Andy Gill's gang of four, or should I say a gang of four featuring Andy Gill, maybe Andy the better Gill. way to put it. Yeah. It's an interesting yeah situation there. And, uh, and, and for those not in the know, the, the current touring version of gang of four is, uh, you know, eh, Andy, it's Andy Gill and uh, I guess two other people. Is that what's going on? Like, I don't three. Oh yeah. I'm not actually sure who's doing, no, they have a vocalist that's doing, so they had guest vocalists on the record, but they have a, a full-time vocalist on the tour. So it's a four piece. Okay. Gotcha. It's, I think it's the drummer and bass player who were on the last gang of four record that John King was also on, but then with a new vocalist. So gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and, uh, the, the quote um, the, the, the quote is gang of four gave everyone permission to talk politics as long as there was a good beat, <laughs> which I thought was a good one. That was a, if you, if you can't, yeah. if you could sum up gang of four very quickly in one sentence, I think that's a really good elevator pitch because I mean, I remember the first time I heard them, I was like, Oh wow, it's that guitar is nuts sounding, but the backbeat kind of sounds like James Brown or something. This is crazy. And then I was like, Oh, they're talking about like socioeconomic issues or something. This is wild. I don't think I've ever heard anything like this before. (laughs) I still am fascinated at how that band 
existed. It's it's just such a strange combination of things, and it's right. it's so amazing. And that's that to me is what actually when I was talking to somebody about this, what's really interesting is is from like an analytical viewpoint is like now that now that there's there have been a series of records where you have you have the you know you have entertainment which has those those four core musicians and then every record since then they've they've you know one of those people has been you know quit dropped you know fired whatever dropped off and now we have a record where it's just Andy Gill and you can actually now you could look at their whole musical career and you can figure out what each person brought to the band in a weird right, way. Right, as it slowly point. drops off. I mean, yeah, and, and yeah. like, one one would wonder if it, at some point Andy Gill drops out, would Doug Yule jump in? I mean, like, how would that? <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be funny. <laughs> who would be, yeah, who would be the replacement for Andy Gill? And, the, yeah, and, and I, you know, that's what's weird is like at some point, you know, that's going to start happening, right? Like all, like these bands, like, well, it's happening with the Grateful Dead, right? How many, oh, of, Lord. How many yes, members? Yes, it is. Original members are left. I guess there are three, right? Original members left still. That sounds plausible. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I I am not a, a, a Grateful Dead scholar, but it's it's those kind of things where at some point, yeah, you're going to have bands that, I mean, this this happens with you know '60s pop bands where it's like the guy who played bass on the the B side of the record is touring as this band, you know. But um, when that happens with more established bands, what that's what's that going to be like? Like Kiss, you know, Kiss to me is the perfect example. It's like sure. Is there really, really, there's never going to be a live official kiss performance after all, all of those guys are dead. I, I don't believe that's going to happen. I believe there's holograms. Gonna, yeah, well, yeah, maybe holograms. I think there might be a little in between period before the holograms, right? Where, where you just have a bunch of people playing and it's the kiss experience and it's run by the, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the heirs to the kiss fortune, right? You know, they're just, as long as Simmons gets his cut, then it's all right. Good. Exactly. The, the Simmons family, the Simmons estate. That's what I was trying to say is, you know, it's, it's going to exist beyond that. And it's like, how far is that going to go? Is it going to be, but I think you're also right. I, I'm really fascinated with the idea that at some point you are going to be able to see, you know, some kind of virtual simulation. It's like, Oh, I would really love to see, you know, Husker do at the cubby bear in 1984, you know, and it's like, Oh, maybe there'll be a way that you can actually see a simulation of that. And that that'll be interesting. Well, and it'd be interesting that like, so think about this, right? So the, the, uh, the misfits air quotes for the third time in the show are uh, out and touring still. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's Jerry only. And, uh, oh God, who's involved in that clown show? Uh, I think, uh, I think Des from black flag and, and robo at, at some point, but, it's just like it's the Misfits in name for sure, and yeah. you will hear Misfits songs to be clear. But then Jerry Only has also said like the Misfits is something he wants to pass on to his children. He wants it to be like a legacy thing. But what if you had the hologram version of the Misfits from <laughs> you know their their glory days, apex of their power, that were playing yeah. across town? What would that be like? <laughs> what if your hologram of your of your past band, uh, or even the current band, but just a lot earlier? outsold your band yeah. live doing it. Oh, I, I can't wait for those problems to start happening. It's going to be some interesting problems. Be, yeah, it's, it's just going to be so fun. I mean, to me, it's just going to be so funny, you know? Oh, do you, do you see the Misfits? Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw them. Oh, no, but we didn't, we didn't see the old Misfits. We saw the hologram ones. Oh, okay, cool. 
Because no, those are no, better. <laughs> to go back, you know, going back to the Grateful Dead, you know, you think about those, you know, there are people who know, you know, the exact show and, and even like the Fugazi live series, right? So how much they recorded so many of their performances and you have access to those moments and you have them through audio. And it's like, it's, it, it does seem like it's just a matter of time in an extension. If you just kind of extend those ideas out where you're going to have, you know, an, an audio recording, a live recording of a show from 20 years ago, from 40 years ago is, is a simulation too. It's, it's a recreation, you know, or a a virtual reality of some sort. So it's, it's actually not that, you know, we think of it as weird right now, but it's really not any weirder than listening, you know, telling someone, you know, in the, the 1850s that you're, you would be able to listen to a person playing music from 50 years, you know, ago, uh, as if they were right there in the room, somebody from the 1850s would go, that's crazy talk. Why would you, why would you even want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to just hear a person singing in the room with you? And it's like, well, no, it's, it's this interesting, <laughs> right. amazing experience. And it's like, you, you don't, you know, this person's been dead for 50 years, but I can still hear what they sounded like. You know, it's an amazing thing. And it's the same thing. It's like, oh yeah, these, these bands have been dead for years, but I can, I can go and I can, you know, oh, it's just kind of like the idea of like recreating a virtual CBGBs and it's like, oh, you get to pick your year and, and the shows you want to see it. I can totally see myself, you know, going down that rabbit hole, wanting to do that. Oh, yeah, I'm totally I'm just going to spend my whole retirement, you know, in a virtual simulation of CBGBs in 1975. Right. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't I do that? <laughs> exactly. It seems it's hey, you know, it's it's great. The 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 air wasn't poison yet, and uh, you know, <laughs> radio was halfway okay once in a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that weren't all these mutants everywhere eating everybody. I mean, <laughs> right? Awesome. Yeah, it's no way I'm going outside. I'm going to stay in my in my bunker. <laughs> right, and you're, and you're hooked up to your virtual reality uh, suit yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, totally. Well, that was certainly an interesting turn, but yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's getting late. I, I go sci-fi when I'm, I've, I've been, uh, when I start getting, uh, I've been, uh, yeah. No, and I appreciate you doing this, Rick. I really oh, no. wanted to have you on, on the show. And I, I know from your last episode of Radio Zero, Radio Zero that you mentioned how, how you guys are not mourning people and how when you're an adult <laughs> with responsibilities, people just don't understand that the words you're saying are English and they don't understand what that means. And like, well, do you have a drug problem? <laughs> Yeah. No, we just don't like getting up in the mornings. Yeah, and that's the thing is the the problem is is before when I wasn't a morning person, you know, I could I could stay up until three in the morning and then sleep until noon. Now I can't do that. So that's that's where it all falls apart. It's like not being a morning person. Right. You got classes to teach, there's children to wrangle. It's a children, whole situation. Yeah. yeah. It's kinda like that that first time I realized, oh, I can't go see a show on a Monday night in Chicago, drive all night, or drive, you know, drive up after work, go see the show hang out, drive back, go to bed at three in the morning. And then, you know, I, oh, I used to do this all the time. And you just think, oh, I'm old now. That's why I can't handle it. But then you realize, oh, when I did that, when I was in my 20s, I, w- I would go home, get home at 3 a.m. I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up at noon or yeah. one in the afternoon. <laughs> it's fine if you, have, if you get like eight hours sleep. Yeah, you can totally pull that off. <laughs> I wouldn't have a three-year-old at seven in the morning talking to me. You know, and and waking me up three hours after I went to bed, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, this is why I can't do this anymore. Right. Uh, Exactly. It has less to do with with being old, but yeah. yeah. Now I definitely sound like an old man complaining. (laughs) Well, you're on the right show. Uh, For Don Conversal, (laughs) the exception of Brenda Betts is largely old man complaining. So, hey, (laughs) it, it, it all works out. 
Oh, it's good to be among friends. <laughs> so <laughs> the, uh, the tell me about the and and there's just no way that I can make this like a, a segue that that will work. So I'm just going to run right into it. The 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 Thoughtsy Techno Machines album, Work the Circuits. Tell me about the the plotter and how how did this come to be the uh, the thing for the the art? Well, I. Uh... Like you said, the the previous two records had had some kind of concepts behind it. The first EP was, you know, uh, echoing my memories of old computer, kind of the DIY computer movement. So that first EP it has, was about, it's like an operator manual. There, it's yeah. like in the old binding, and uh, again, like in the early days of personal computing, people would make, you know, you might get software from someone and you'd get instructions, but it was all typed up in Xerox. It was kind of like the equivalent of a fanzine also, you know, that you had in music is like, it was, it was just somebody putting together their software and the instructions, or even you'd look in a magazine and it would write out all the programming and you would have to type the program into your computer from a magazine. Right. right? It's like, did you have so, that latest copy of Amiga 500? I do. <laughs> exactly. And, and so that was that, that first record, it was about kind of the tying that DIY thing from, uh, music and into the DIY of computers and everything that was where I was going with that. And then the second one was just the, the, uh, I, it was like you said, the, the post-it note and the idea of memory and permanence. And then also kind of this thing about collectability and limited edition and then having the dry erase credits on it was, you know, just, you know, kind of like a, I would say almost a jerky conceptual thing, right? It's like kind of commentary. You've heard this, uh, there's the kind of situationist book is famous kind of in, uh, you know, when you talk about art history where a book that had, had the cover was sandpaper. So it would destroy the, uh, books around it. Sure. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, who was it? Which uh, is known colloquially as a dick move. Right, right, right. Exactly. But it, it was a conceptual thing too. It was like, you know, yeah. And then, and then I'm trying to remember, somebody on factory records i don't know if it was the rudy column or uh or maybe it was cabaret voltaire i can't remember who who did the record that had sandpaper on it too so they they kind of adapted that and then so i was trying to think of what well, what's the equivalent of that you know in a weird way and it's oh dry erase marker you know the kind of impermanence i, I kind of wanted to talk about that idea of collectability and and so this was a way of making it so that if you really were you know totally obsessed with you know, keeping a mint condition, limited edition copy of a record, then you couldn't even take it out of the sleeve because the potential of ruining the the handwritten credits on it because it was dry erase marker, that was interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Then, like like it's like yeah. it's going to be different after you, you know, if you if you don't treat it with care, you will have something different and perhaps less good than you had before. So Yeah. And so th- after doing that, though, you know, handwriting a bunch of record covers. <laughs> yeah, how was that? It's 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 a lot of work. You how, know? how was that DIY I, now? You think about hiring some people for that now? <laughs> right, right, and you know, and and it's it's it, but it, it it too was also about bringing you know the the kind of idea of the artist's hand into this you know something again. It's like if you you print up record sleeves, there's no. You know, even if you have a limited edition thing with numbers and everything like that, that's somewhat personal, but I wanted to make it a little more personal than that. So having it handwritten, you know, that was very personal and I like that idea. And so that idea of having the artist hand or whatever, you know, as part of the packaging, I like that, but it was a lot of work. Yeah. And so I was trying to think of, well, how do I get something that's unique, you know, treat these, each of these records as unique artwork when I do the next record. And 
I just, yeah, I become kind of obsessed with the idea of pen plotters because that was really the earliest experience I had with this idea of art and technology, which was because, like I said, I was a computer science major, but this was in the 80s. And the only class I could take that involved computers and drawing was was an architecture class. And it was all about how to draw, you know, building plans. But it was like I was interested in using computers to make art. And there were just no classes for that. Right. And so I was thinking back on that. Oh, why would you do that? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, it was kind of like, oh, so you want to be an architect? You want to draw plans or you want to do you don't you you want to do engineering drafting for engineering and, you know, like uh, mechanical engineering drafting, but you want to use a computer? Yeah, we've got a an AutoCAD class for that. But it's like, no, I want to do, you know, and people had been experimenting with that since the 60s uh, using computers for that. But there wasn't wasn't like a full you know, well, I just wasn't in, I guess I probably wasn't in the right place for that kind of stuff. And so, but I was thinking back on that and then the idea of having a plotter and then now because of this whole maker movement, it's like you can have a 3d printer in your house now and you can have a, a, a computer controlled. It's actually what I use to make this new artwork a plotter using the pen plotter. It's actually meant for cutting, you know, metal and wood with computer-controlled cutting of those kind of materials, but I just put a pen on, and so instead of a a blade or a drill, it's moving a pen, but it's the same idea. And so that was a way I found that I could combine that idea of kind of almost like a hand-drawn or unique. Each record could be unique. It's a little different. Yeah, but it's using the computer like I... Each one of these records is drawn, and the computer draws the pen, and, and each cover... The artwork is slightly different. I, I use, you know, I, I run it through, I have a kind of, it's basically like an animation program and I created five, 400 separate, um, computer images that if you look at them as a whole, they're a little animation, you know, a computer graphic that's animated, but then I could draw each one on a record. So each record is unique in that way, but also the pen plotter, I always compare it to kind of like craft work, you know, craft work when they first came out with the, the electronic, you know, kind of music everybody said oh this is so cold and 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 severe and mechanical sounding and you listen to it now and it sounds really funky you know it's like everybody's right. kind of <laughs> yeah done. yeah and, and there are it's not it's Africa not bombata totally, thought so as well yeah 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 and it's 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 like um not as locked down you know as you would think it is and because also because our tastes change but the same thing with the pen plotters like when for, people first draw started drawing using computers to draw and they use these pen plotters, everybody would go, Oh, you know, that doesn't look like art cause it's too perfect. But now you look at something that's drawn with a pen plotter and there's, there's blobs, there's little inconsistencies. It's actually drawn with a pen. Whereas, you know, if you, if I did all of this on a computer and did it, did the lines perfectly, um, there wouldn't be any variation in it. It would look too clean and too normal. And so for me, that's what was the appeal about doing that with this new artwork was, is that I got the kind of advantage of using a computer, which is that it's doing that drawing. I'm not doing it by hand, but it also does kind of in a weird way, have a handmade field because there are imperfections, right? It's just their mechanical imperfections that you can see the difference. It's just like the appeal of, you know, um, letterpress, you know, the same reason why people like posters that are made with wood cut type. It's like, it's a mechanical process, but there's something, there's inconsistencies. Whereas, you know, it was, it was really exciting when for computers, you know, 
and graphics programs and design programs came about in computers. It's like all of a sudden everything could be perfect, but everybody now knows it's oh, it's too perfect. It's like, ugh. I, I don't like that. That looks too perfect, and you want to mess it up a bit. Yeah, know? exactly. It's it's almost it's too much almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's a. It's interesting that we, you know, and you know the the, the talk of vinyl and you know, CDs and digital and whatnot. It's almost like the the things that people find pleasing about vinyl is sort of like oh the natural compression with the with the drums. It's like the limitation of the format, and the yeah. lim- limitation is actually what you're hearing. Like you're not hearing it. It sounds better because it's more pleasing in the way that uh, you know it works for certain genres of music, but w- the digital artifact actually has you know the, e- like it actually has that whole full range, and there isn't that compression, and that's one of the reasons why it sounds different. And yeah, I-, I think that's a it's an interesting as we get into the the age of the the artisan and the artisanal cheese and records and and, and whatnot. <laughs> I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it's what, you know, and it, it's, it's what, what people it want. I think they want something special. And, and if you want to be, um, I don't know, an artist, you know, just in general, a creative person, I think you have to give people something that's, that's unique. It's not, it's in something that's personal. I think that's the way to survive the kind of mass production viewpoint or perspective i think is ob- i think it's obvious to everyone now that 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 kind of mass produced thing is not what people it doesn't resonate with people yeah it doesn't it doesn't pop and sure. if you if you're you need mass production if you want millions of people to be interested in what you're doing like if you're apple right but if if you're a musician making music and unless you want to be the apple of music which who would who would that be right now you know um uh, t- Taylor Swift, right? Tyler, Taylor Swift. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah you, okay. Yeah. You have to do the mass production thing and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, if you actually want to have a personal connection with people, and this is not just about musicians, it's about any type of artist. You've got, you've got to make a personal connection. Cause that's the only thing that makes people, uh, it makes you attractive to other people is if they feel like, Oh, I'm, and, and wanting to give you money to, frankly, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm actually giving somebody who's doing something that they love and it's going directly to them. You know, that's that's how that relationship works. So I, I want to see a musician that I feel like is playing music from the heart. Not they're not just trying to get money out of me, right? I wanna I wanna see artwork made by someone who who's personally invested in it, not someone who's just trying to it's not just an investment, you know. Sell you something, yeah. Yeah. That's man. Yeah, that that's a very real thing. I mean, it's it's you know he- they're heavy concepts, but it's all you know it, it shouldn't be that. And with the instant availability of everything, you know, it, it's I think more achievable now than ever. I would say. Yeah, I mean, and so, and the reason why I, I guess I get heavy about this is because that's you know that's part of my job is that I I'm teaching teaching people college students who are creative, but they ha- they're going to have to survive <laughs> in the future. Right. It's my right. belief. It's my belief that to survive, you've got to, you know, have your unique vision and be able to communicate to people on a personal level because this world of, you know, kind of corporate support, it's just not there. I don't, I don't think that that's, that's, that's as an economy or even just as a way of life, there's not, there's not much to it anymore. You know, it's, it's really about everybody's going to be in their own little creative plot of land, you know, a subsistence farmer and then trying to, you know, put together all of their right. ideas and getting them out to people and survive in these these kind of hard scrabble ways 
that are, you know, digitally based. And the way to do that is to have a personal vision and, and a, a personal connection. It can't be through this old fashioned anonymous kind of mass produced system. Yeah, man, that's heavy, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I get it. That's, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, and it's, I don't know. I, I always appreciate artists, artists that challenge, you know, precepts of thinking and kind of make it, make you think about, you know, deeper subjects than baby, baby, baby. I'm going to touch you in your bathing suit area, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so, so, I mean, what, what are the, what are the artists that kind of like when you were, when you were a younger man that you, you kind of were finding things, what are the ones that kind of made you like open your, your eyes and your ears and say, Hey, like what's, what's this all about? Wow. In terms of music, you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's keep it to I mean, music. It's ostensibly I mean, a music show. I mean, it's 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 really you know I think typical of a person like me. It's it's just the the basics. You know, it's like Velvet Underground. I mean, really, that moment where I went from being you know thinking that college rock or I mean uh, classic rock was the you know was for other people who were you know kind of shredders and you know really technically proficient people is like I got that. The, the first Velvet Underground record, and uh, I think it's is it the guitar solo on Black Angel's Death Song or something. And I, oh I actually, yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, and I thought the record was skipping. <laughs> and I got up and I realized, oh, the record's not skipping. That's the guitar solo, right? right? And it it was like it's one of those weird moments where you realize, oh wow, there's this other stuff you can do that's not necessarily about. Um, just the technical part, but also about the energy and everything like that. And then, you know, another person, you know, just again, you know, uh, Brian, Eno, you know, just, just all of those kind of ideas that he had. But then, you know, from that you start exploring, you realize, Oh, somebody like John Cage, it's like a lot of what Brian Eno did was, was kind of working in a pop mu- mu- music realm but using a lot of the ideas that were coming from people like John Cage and from uh, sure, yeah, Rush and things like that. So if you start going down those paths and you realize, um, oh wow, there's there's a way to kind of merge these kind of artsy conceptual things to what you're doing, <laughs> you know, and you realize, oh, like the you know, it's 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 a little too art school to think of that, you know, like the Ramones are like like appealing as the Ramones, but then you also realize, wow, the R- Ramones are are a minimalist art project in a way too. <laughs> right. That's totally. a really terrible way to state it. And I don't think they thought in that way, but they were in New York. They were New York dolls fans. They were, you know, they were, they, they went to those shows at the Mercer street center, whatever it was called. You know, they were not completely, um, innocent, you know, and they were, they were within that environment and you realize, wow. Okay. So they're, all of those things informed each other. And even though you think of the Ramones as just kind of this fully formed thing, it's like they were part of that environment, you know, and, and it wasn't as simple as just like, just, you know, four, you know, glue sniffing guys, you know, uh, malcontents, you know, there was more to it than that, even though they, they looked like that, right. You knew right. that was, you, if the more you read about it and the more you explored it and the more you looked at it and you learned about the scene they were a part of, you'd realize, wow, there's more going on there. And then obviously the big thing for me was just, again, like I was talking about the Minutemen and Husker Du and, um, uh, 
Oh, I'm trying to think of what else. Yeah, just basically the SST twin tone homestead scenes of the 80s were just being able to see bands that I, th- you know, thought were amazing and not a lot of people knew about it, and they weren't on the radio, but it was like, wow, this is changing my life watching this band. This is, you know, they're, they're talking directly to me and I can stand in a room with 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 other people and be right there. And you're having and, that shared experience. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, to me before rock music was like, Oh, you'd see it on TV or there'd be a big giant concert where you'd see, I saw the who I think in 1982 and they were the size of a postage stamp. And that was like, Oh, (laughs) this is what rock and roll is. You get to see them, but you're in this massive auditorium with huge number of people. And the second I saw a band in a small place and realized, wow, what I, what I saw before wasn't, rock and roll you know it was i love the who but it was like something different right yeah and there was there's there are people in the world who saw the who in 1964 in a room this size you know in a tiny room and they were a foot away from them and they felt all of that and it's like i can feel that in a room with you know the Minutemen or husker do it's like that's where it's happening it's not in this big giant uh, stadium. And so that was where, it, you know, I was basically lost then. It was kind of like, I can't enjoy, I can't enjoy a band, a huge band in a huge place. I, I just can't enjoy it. There's, I've been ruined because I've seen so many amazing bands in small places. There's really no reason for me to go and see a hugely, insanely successful band because I, 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 I have seen the light. I know how much better right. it could be. Yeah, it's it's like a different experience entirely. It's almost like a different beast. Yeah. yeah. And for some people they don't want to do that, you know. It's like and I I you know, it's like, oh, why would I want to go to a dark you know, small bar or basement or house? Right. And like, oh, see- that sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you don't understand, you know. There's there's Well, you're sitting t- there drinking a $9 Budweiser at a place that normally has <laughs> hockey and you're telling me yeah. that's terrible? All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and you know, not not to turn around over to me, but I I, I was commissioned by our local paper uh, to cover the uh, the Aerosmith uh, Cheap Trick show at, at the Oakland Coliseum, <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, I really like Cheap Trick, and like I'm interested enough to see Aerosmith for free. Sure, like I'll I'll cover it, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna cover the entire social experience. Like this is gonna be, you know punk rock dickhead <laughs> goes to arena <laughs> rock show might as well yeah. be the bull quote for it and i did and you know part of the experience was you know i, I wrote up all the the preposterous like wow these people like they they think this is this is entertainment huh and it's like <laughs> i see all these people that like got drunk and passed out like before lick of music was playing on what i would imagine must have been at least 80 or 90 dollars worth of uh and again for the fourth time air quotes beer yeah <laughs> And and then there's this, you know, even the people that saw it, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it was good. It was, it was interesting. But I couldn't imagine, like, paying that kind of money, you know, uh, to, to – well, first of all, I never paid that kind of money for Aerosmith. I'm just not right. – I'm not really right. that much of a fan. But I – it just was like it's just such a remote, detached experience that it's sort of like, well, you're kind of sharing this experience, but are you? Really? Like, it's just a different yeah. – it's a different thing. And it must be so much different from, you know, when you're – talking about like seeing these bands in like these small places, but what about like, and then you, I know you guys did a lot of this in poster children, you know, you're just sharing, you're taking turns being on stage, you know, and you're, you're, you're doing your thing and you're doing your art. And then there's another band that maybe you are like one of your favorite bands and they're, and they're coming up right after you or right before to you. Like that's gotta be, 
you know, that, that that's um, and that's a rarity that you know it would be very disingenuous to say that everyone gets to experience that because they don't. But yeah, and that 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 really became. I think that's that's really the best part of touring is 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 especially if you get to tour with a band, you know. And so even just playing like a string of three shows with another band, that's that's a completely it's it's an amazing experience, you know, to be able to see them and see how they they work every day too, you know, even just from an analytical viewpoint, it's like how they do it, you know, and it's like, um, but also just getting to know them and having somebody that's sharing an experience with you because that's the thing, is you can you can play with a local band and it's neat and they you know you can discover great music and they're a local band, but it's like if you're if you're an, another band that you like and they're on tour, it it's it's you know. It, maybe this is a bad analogy, but it's kind of like, you know, veterans, you know, talking about, you know, war stories. It's like, they're not going to talk to other people about it because they're not going to understand. And it's right. kind of the same thing with bands. It's like, you weren't like, in, um, back with us when the yeah. smashing pumpkins were around and, uh, yeah. And there's certain things that <laughs> like I double pilots. <laughs> yeah. You and I could talk about, about band stuff, but somebody else would hear us talking about it. And we would just sound like bitter or, or, you know, weird but it's like you can talk to certain people who've been through the same experiences and it's it's a different thing it's like they know they, they have that cultural shorthand yeah. yeah because that's the other thing is people have still have this very weird idea of like what being a musician is all about and like i you know said previously a lot of the band's kind of idea poster children's idea was kind of explode those myths or keep exploding those myths it's like no we're not we're not these superhuman special people. We're like you. You should be able to do this too, or you should be able to try these things. Don't don't think of us as an example of how you can't do it. You think of us as an example of how you can do it, and it's 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 that kind of thing. Oh, I lost my train of thought, but um, um, just having 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 a ba- a band and having a shared experience. Oh yeah, people have this impression of of music and, and, and playing in bands that's not necessarily realistic. And so when you get that chance to tour with someone else or play shows with a band that you love and you see that, Oh, they're having the same problems or having the same complaints, or even it's like you have this impression of a band and then you play a show with them and it's like, Whoa, you know, people didn't show up that night and they weren't upset. They were upset. And this is my favorite band and people didn't show up for them in this weird town one Tuesday night. It's like, yeah, Oh, they took that personally to them too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> totally. That we suck. It's that, Oh, sometimes it just sucks. People don't show up one night and then you never know when it's going to be. And right, even right. the most successful band, you know, unless we're talking about those arena bands, you know, it, it's like they'll they'll have those those things happen and you get to see that. That's that to me was the amazing part of it is like that shared experience. Yeah, no. And that's like, you know, and that's something that and by the way, you've you've just now convinced me that the, the song, the first thing I was going to play after we stopped talking uh, was going to be something different. But it's now going to be zero stars because I think you've summed that up <laughs> very, very well in that uh, right. in that song. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's something that culturally like when you have that cultural shorthand i think it, it does yeah it, it's it's like you're in the trenches right and and it does give you like yeah. a different viewpoint on life and what art is and what art can mean and how it can empower you as well as you know in, in some cases for some people disempower i suppose but it, it yeah. is very strange to try to explain that to a coworker. to explain what it is you do oh. and so this is the thing for me is it's it's, it's it's just like you know yeah i I play in a band and I play music. It's like, oh yeah, I, I'd love to hear it. And it's kind of like, you know what? Do you? 
<laughs> yeah, she really, you know, the thing is, is that I am not, I am not the kind of musician where it's like, if I play somewhere to just any, they'll go, wow, that was really amazing. You're really, it's, it's like so specific. It's kind of like, I can't, like, I can't play at a, at a, at a, a, a public library, you know, general audience. And then, you know, <laughs> you know, play at the, 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 uh, the local farmer's market or something, you know, just those kind of things. Oh man. I, I, I would, so, I would so go to any farmer's market where thoughts detecting machines was playing. Are you <laughs> right, kidding right. me? That's awesome. In, in, in a way it would be an interesting thing, but it, it's that same kind of thing where it's like somebody says, Oh, you're in a band. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of, you dread that thing where it's like, Oh, I want to hear it. And, and then I, I, I've had this discussion with so many people. It's like that response of, Oh, it's fun. You know, Oh, that music's <laughs> really fun. And it's like, I, this one band guy from a band was just like, he was just talking about how whenever he gave his CDs or records to someone he worked with, and it was just like they would always say it's fun, and he just hated it because because to him what that meant was is I don't understand what you do, I don't want to make you feel bad, but I listen to I it. I have to say something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to I want to support you, but I I listen. You know, when I you can just imagine, you know, this person who's never heard any any kind of underground music any kind of alternative music you know and it's like they put right. on a CD and they go this sounds like i don't know i don't even understand is do people listen to music like this and, it, and it's kind of like then they have to go back and tell their coworker that they listen to it and try to figure out what to say and he, he just oh he was it was so funny and and it's just right, kind of like right. i'm like okay you know i i play in a band but it's not for everybody i play music but it's not for everybody. Yeah. And how does that work with being like the professor? Like you're in a position of authority, you know, like that. that's right. How <laughs> so I can force, I force my students to buy my records. No, not at all. So here's your homework I, assignment I, kids. <laughs> I, I shouldn't make a joke like that. Cause that's actually the kind of thing that could get me fired. Uh, oh, yeah, that's, okay. a, that's an ethics violation, but I was joking. Um, I, I don't talk about it. I mean, it's come up in the past couple of days cause I have a new record out. And so I'm on Facebook and I'm, you know, that's a weird thing too, is some of my students are friends with me on Facebook, just right. navigating this, this contemporary environment. But what's interesting is that some, like what we were talking about before about, uh, access to music and, and nothing being obscure. I've got a couple of students who, when I talk to them about music, it's like talking to somebody that I went to college with. They love the same kind of music I loved when I was oh, in nice. college. Okay. But then there are other students who are totally into dubstep and it's just kind of like, Ooh. Oh, what I do is kind of, it's got some electronic stuff, but there, there's nothing about like the dubstep thing in it really, I don't think. And so they, they wouldn't, wouldn't connect think, with it at all. I think that's an accurate statement to say that there's nothing <laughs> dubstep in Fozzy Yeah. Machines. Yeah. But so it's, it's, it's weird, but I, I just don't, you know, I don't bring it up unless somebody else does, you know? Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so I guess, uh, and, and I want to thank you again for, for taking the time to, to speak with me and uh, be in the show. Brenna, Sends her best, by the way. She w uh, very much wanted to uh, to talk to you. She enjoys the, the music, but we'll, we'll do it another time. Uh, yeah, definitely. And uh, also, Lindsay says hello as well. I was... Oh, uh, great, yeah. The disadvantage to doing this show from uh, the top floor of the Radio Nope Studios, uh, being my home, uh, <laughs> is that you know there's cats that are they're meowing for food, and then people come in yeah. now and again. Yeah. But she does say hello. Uh, and the Great. last thing I wanted to say is, uh, so what's it like having a article on Fast Company? <laughs> it's neat. I, this is the thing. To me, it's it's kind of the reality is, is uh, you know, I guess, you know, there used to be 
you know, music magazines, right? And you knew what music magazine, you know, people who like your type of music write for, and they would write about that type of music, right? And now it's just so random and weird. And it's kind of like, what, who's, who's interested in what? And so uh, the guy, you know, who wrote the article is, you know, actually originally from the Chicago area is interested in music, interested in technology. And so it made sense for him to write a story about it, you know? And so it's just, it's the weird, it's just such a weird world now. It's kind of like, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it's, it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. He's, <laughs> this makes perfect sense in a way. If you look at other things he's written and, and, you know, it, it's kind of like, Oh yeah. It's it, the, and yeah, there's, it's just, it's hey, a cool it's article. I mean, if I didn't yeah. know who you were, I'd be like, wow, this sounds awesome. What is this? Right. <laughs> the most shocking thing about the article is I talked about how Peter Seville, you know, as a, a designer, you know, who designed, you know, a lot of the New Order and Joy Division stuff. Right, right, right. Factory record stuff. Um, you know, I, I got to see him talk. He, there was a great um, uh, show at the Museum of Contemporary Art a few years ago about rock and roll and art. You know, and he was there as a guest and I got to see him talk. And he, so he's someone, you know, just as much as an influence in terms of music, he's an influence as a as a an artist to me, as a visual designer. And um, but then the article seeing like the unknown pleasures waveform was like so I knew that there I mean, I'm uh, there's an obvious influence, but I never even thought of the fact that the kind of waves on the cover. Oh, of the sure. Sure. Because <laughs> they that article has pictures of some some of Peter Seville's designs. And one of them is the unknown pleasure thing. And I go, oh, my God, it's it's even it's a little more obvious than just the idea of making kind of these unique packages. It's like, right, oh, right. Forms. It's like, oh, OK, this is a little I got a little freaked out. I was like, wow, maybe I'm a little too influenced by Peter Seville. I don't know. I, I, it definitely has its own its own vibe yeah. to it, and uh, don't worry. I don't think Joy Division's going to like file suit or anything. <laughs> right? Oh yeah, no, they've got they've got uh, they've got other people ripping them off directly, selling t shirts with that logo. Oh, God, on. what a yeah, they got more than me to worry about. What a, what a world that that's uh, that's that's a thing. Huh? It's like oh man, yeah. And some yeah. of it's clever. Don't get me wrong, but it's like some of it's like wow, really, really, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Rick, thank you so much, man. It's been so great talking and to you. Uh, it's, it is. It's always great to talk to you. Let's let's do it again. And uh, yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm digging the record. Uh, everyone, check it out. ThoughtsDetectingMachines.com. No, Tedium. Tedium. Tedium.us or thought. Yeah, actually, ThoughtsDetectingMachines.com is will also go to the website. Okay. And Tedium, as I, I think, I think it was this morning that I finally. Oh, Tedium. T D M. <laughs> oh, yeah. like I. I uh. I'm a quick study, let me tell you. Yeah, it's, it's you know, there are layers. You don't have to see all the layers all at once. No, exactly. And that's the kind of thing that I, I love that kind of stuff where you can, like, you know, later on just be like, oh, it's that. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, it wasn't obvious to me initially. It was just that I was abbreviating it. And then it was like, oh, TDM. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, that's great. So it all, 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 it, it wasn't What's even that? obvious to me. It was not, I, I, I am a full full proponent of uh deeper things revealing themselves over you know, time not in complete control of what's going on either so uh, and i also like to, to point out uh, radiozero.us and also i'm very pleased that there is at least one other show out there that rants about daylight savings time and the metric <laughs> system other than mine 
Oh man, you're really exciting people about the Radio Zero. With the, oh, 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 oh wow, really? Daylight Savings Time talk? I'm there. Where's that? I'm downloading it right now. <laughs> I'm listening. Uh, it's a good show, and I'm glad. I'm glad that's back and on a regular basis, and I look forward to every episode. So. All right. Well, thank you, Tony. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, I will. Uh, I will speak to you later, and uh, yeah, keep on rocking, man. Thank you. There he is. Mr. Rick Valentin from Thoughts Detecting Machines, Poster Children. Great dude. Of great dude fame. Here's some Poster Children for you.
There you go, babies. That's some thought detecting machines with going home. That's right. Live it, love it, love it, buy it. Tedium, tedium, T E D I U M, tedium, as in T D M. Get it? That US. Oh, radiozero.com. No, that US. Sorry, I think I think .com might work though. Oh, good golly, you've done it! You spent spent another two hours of your lives. Is this thing on? And the one, the only protonic reversal. Thank you for it. Thank you for being part of this grand experiment, the dev test of Radio Nope, where you can now find this show as well as Radio Valencia. Radio Valencia and Radio Note, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. every Thursday. Are we going? Is this thing on? Not gonna lie, friends, I'm very excited about this uh, Radio Note thing. You're gonna be able to find me and my co-host, Brenna Betts, DJ Real Time Drop, on Life in the Barrage tomorrow night. Tomorrow being Friday. Radionope.com. Bookmark it. Follow it on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever floats your boat. This is just getting going. Radiovalencia.fm as well. Proud home of the show. Signing off. Mr. and Mrs. America. Thank you, Derek Valentin. Thank you. Thoughts Detecting Machines, Push Children, Salary Man, Radio Zero. Catch you next time. I've got 50,000 watts of power. Can you hear me now? Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Yeah. 